and welcome to the New Testament Setting Podcast, brought to you in conjunction with my YouTube channel, Biblically Correct. Today, I want to jump into a really important question if you're going to read the New Testament, and that is, who is Herod? If you read the New Testament, you'll see very quickly, specifically in the Gospels, that this character Herod pops up a lot. And if you're really smart reading, you understand that, wait a minute, I think there's more than one Herod. So what I want to do for you in this video and podcast is to help you see who this Herod is. So I'm going to go through and identify specifically which Herod pops up in which stories in the New Testament and how understanding who those particular Herods are can maybe help you understand what's going on a little bit more. So when we talk about Herod, the first person that comes up is a guy named Herod the Great. Now, Herod the Great, he's the great, not because of military conquest, but mainly because of building. Herod is able to take a kingdom which is relatively small, and he's able to build and do these really strong building projects and bring a level of stability to Israel that had not been there in a while. Now, Herod is actually a client king of Rome. He is not a native um, Israelite or Jew. He's what we call an Idumean. But Idumeans are kind of an Arab tribe that are in kind of southeast of uh, southeast of Israel, but they had been converted to Judaism during the Hasmonean period. The Hasmoneans took over this area and they forced everyone to convert. So you have this weird tightrope that Herod the Great and his descendants are going to have where they are ethnically Gentiles, but religiously Jewish. And not only that, they are clients of Rome. So they have this connection with Rome and even this cultural connection with Rome and with Greek culture as well. So you'll see Herod the Great and the other Herods have to walk this political and religious tightrope between their faith, their professed faith, and the Gentiles that they work with and work for. So, Herod the Great controls all of what we think of typically as ancient Israel. So, Samaria, Galilee, um, the area around the Sea of Galilee and above the Sea of Galilee, um, the area just on the other side of the Jordan River called Perea, um, he controls a large territory. But Herod the Great, when he dies, his kingdom is going to be split up among his children. And you're going to have these small little, not even really kingdoms, they're actually called tetrarchs, or in, in one case, a province. But before we jump to his kids, let's talk a little bit more about how Herod the Great shows up in the New Testament. The first way that we see Herod the Great show up in the New Testament, and the one that most people think of, is 
when Jesus was born. When Jesus is born, Herod the Great is the one that the that the wise men from the east come to visit. They come to him and they say, Hey, king, guess what? We have followed a star and we know that the king of Israel is born. To which Herod responds by saying, Hey, tell me where this king is. Because he's very worried, right? Why would he be worried? Well, who is the king of the Jews? Herod is the king of the Jews. So to hear all of a sudden that this Messiah, this anointed king of the Jews is now here, is being born, then Herod is going to be very, very concerned. Now, this is important because we actually know from Josephus primarily, but we actually know that Herod has a temper when it comes to people usurping his authority as king. There is a reason that Herod was able to stay in power for as long as he stayed in power, for multiple decades. It's because Herod did not allow a challenge to his kingship to go unpunished. So that's the first thing we see of Herod, right? And that's the thing that starts to stick into people's minds. Then you see the story go forward just a little bit more, and then... Herod has expected that the wise men are going to come back and tell him where the um, where this new Messiah is, but that doesn't happen. So what ends up happening? Herod gets a general idea of where this Messiah is supposed to be born, the approximate age based on his conversations with them, and then Herod is going to send an army to slaughter children in Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem would have been small, so we don't know exactly how many children were slaughtered, but it would not have been a massive number. Um, so I've heard some numbers of around 20, but we don't really know for sure how many children would have been in Bethlehem at this age. But it's definitely in Herod's character to kill people who are a threat to his throne. We know that Herod killed his wife. We know that Herod killed multiple family members, including some of his own sons, in order to preserve his own throne. So this is definitely something that Herod would do. So after Herod dies, what we see happen is very interesting. We see Herod actually um, said, hey, I know no one's gonna be, no one is gonna mourn when I die, so what I want you guys to do is I want you to imprison uh, some of the important elites, and when I die, go ahead and kill them so I know that they'll be mourning in the streets. Now, exactly how true this story is is hard to say. Josephus gives it to us. Maybe he's kind of firing for effect here. Maybe he's trying to be a little, uh, little creative. It's not really clear. Um, but nonetheless, what Josephus actually tells us is that ultimately, they don't enforce this. They do not enforce this, and everyone's let go. And what actually happens is after Herod dies, there's celebration. And then Herod's son, Archelaus, starts to take over the kingdom. 
Now, you only see Archelaus pop up in the New Testament one time. And that's a mention that uh, Joseph and Mary are heading out of Egypt. They're about to go up back to Bethlehem, uh, Judea area, and they find out that Archelaus is in power, and they know that he has this reputation for being very cruel, so they move on up to Galilee, specifically to Nazareth. So that is the only place that where you heal here, um, Archelaus really mentioned. But what you do need to understand is that this whole Archelaus is a really cruel ruler who um, you really don't want to live in his kingdom because of how cruel he is, actually, again, fits with the historical record. We know from, again, Josephus, who's our main historical source, uh, historian writing in this period, we actually know that Archelaus is this very, very uh, cruel person and that shortly after Archelaus takes over, um, that some of his political enemies, including his brother, go to um, Caesar Augustus in Rome and actually petition for him not to be in control because of how cruel he is. But ultimately, um, what Caesar Augustus is going to do is he's going to kind of steer a middle path. Instead of giving Archelaus the same role that Herod the Great had, he's going to make Archelaus the king of Judah, the ruler of Judah, um, the ethnarch, I think is the exact title, the ethnarch of Judah, and then he is going to make two other sons, a guy named Herod Antipas, who we'll talk about a lot here in just a second, and another guy, Herod Philip, which we won't really mention. Um, those two are going to be put in charge of other parts of his old Herod the Great's old kingdom. So we talked about Antipas. Excuse me. We talked about Archelaus. He only pops up like once, and then eventually, what's going to happen with Archelaus is that um, Archelaus' cruelty gets so bad that some nobles go to Rome. They petition, and Archelaus is actually going to be exiled. So he's going to be exiled, and his son, Herod Agrippa, who is important, um, is going to actually be raised in the Roman court. So now we go to Herod Antipas. Now Herod Antipas, for the New Testament, for the Gospels, is very important. Herod Antipas is actually going to be the Herod that you think of when you think of Herod in the Gospels. So, the Herod that captures John the Baptist, that doesn't want to kill him at first, but then ends up killing him because of a promise he made at a dinner party, that's Herod Antipas. The Herod Antipas that hears about Jesus and is excited when Pilate sends Jesus to stand before him during the trial of Jesus, guess what Herod that is? That's Herod Antipas. So, Herod Antipas is important because Herod Antipas is in control of Galilee, the region where Jesus' ministry happens mostly, and Herod Antipas is the ruler of Perea, the area where at least a good amount of John the Baptist's ministry happens there in Perea. So, Herod Antipas is a pretty important figure. You see John the Baptist actually preaching against Herod Antipas and an illicit marriage that he has with his brother's wife. 
and you see um, him ultimately killing John the Baptist for his trouble. So, Herod Antipas is this important figure because we do see him pop up a lot. The main thing to understand is that Herod Antipas is not as cruel of a leader as you see Archelaus. Herod Antipas manages to stay in power for a long period of time, and ultimately he gets mentioned a lot. Um, and even when he's not mentioned, you hear a group called the Herodians, which are allies, which are the political party that are trying to support um, Herod Antipas. They pop up a lot in the story. So moving on from Herod Antipas, there's another figure that pops up, a guy named Herod Agrippa I. Now, Herod Agrippa is that son of Archelaus. And what happens with Herod Agrippa is a new emperor comes into power, and that emperor is a guy named Caligula. Caligula is really a nickname. His name is actually Caius or Gaius, um, but everyone called him Caligula behind his back in terms of historians. Um, it was more of a more of a jab at him. Not something anybody would call him to his face. But Caligula is what we tend to know him as. He actually grew up with Agrippa. Now, once he gets a chance, what he's going to end up doing is he's going to end up giving Agrippa some of his own little kingdoms. First, he's going to give Agrippa that Herod Philip's little territory that he had. Um, eventually, Antipas is going to complain about that. And Caligula is just going to banish Antipas, and he's going to not only give um, Agrippa Antipas's territory, but he's actually going to unify Herod the Great's whole kingdom, that kingdom of Israel, and he's going to give it to Agrippa. And Herod Agrippa is actually going to rule as the king of Israel during this period. Now you say, okay, fine. Where is he at in the Bible, in the New Testament? Well, actually, we see Herod Agrippa I in the New Testament in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, you see Herod Agrippa actually arrests James, the son of Zebedee. This is not James, the brother of Jesus, who wrote the book of James, but this is James, the same James that you see there with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, the same James that you see being one of the earliest followers of, of Jesus, the same James who is the brother of the Apostle John, who wrote several books of the New Testament. So this James is actually going to be executed by Herod Antipas. He's going to be executed by Herod Antipas I. And then Herod, seeing that this gets people really excited, wanting to continue to secure as much popularity he, as he can as the king of unified Israel, what does Herod Agrippa I do? He actually arrests Peter. And you see this very interesting story in Acts where Peter is actually going to escape um, execution. He's going to escape from prison and instead of Peter being executed, um, Herod is going to execute the guards that let him escape. And Herod Agrippa I actually is going to die shortly after that. 
Uh, you can read about that in Acts, but you can also read about it in Josephus. Their stories are slightly different, but not really contradictory. Um, they kind of tell um, stories that you could actually mesh together pretty well. Of course, the New Testament is going to say he died because of he died because of how he treated God. He was prideful, so God had him die, and then uh, Josephus is not going to attribute it. Uh, in those ways. So finally, we have another Herod, the last but not least, and that is Herod Agrippa II. Now, Herod Agrippa II is exactly what he sounds like. He is the son of Herod Agrippa I, but Herod Agrippa II, unlike um, most kings, did not directly inherit his father's kingdom. Herod Agrippa II was really too young when his father died to inherit the whole kingdom. So instead of giving him the whole kingdom, what ends up happening is for, for a little bit, he doesn't really get anything. A lot of the kingdom kind of is um, divested back down to a Roman province status headed by a Roman governor. But eventually, the emperor is going to give Herod Agrippa II some of the old territories. Uh, we won't get into what those territories are because the territories really are not uh, that important. Just some territory above the Sea of Galilee. So he has this territory, but not only does he have this territory over the Sea of Galilee, he also has some religious authority over the Temple Mount. Because he is a Jew by religion, he has some authority over the Temple Mount, but also he has a large amount of influence. He has a lot of influence in that area among the Jewish elite and among the Romans. So you actually see Herod Agrippa II pop up in the book of Acts towards the end. So around 60, around 59-ish AD, you see Paul is on trial. Really, he's not on trial that much. He's, he's in prison, and his attempts to uh, have a fair trial have really failed. So the governors have not really given him the kind of trial he thinks he deserves. So Paul has appealed to Caesar. So he's actually going to go and stand trial before Nero. And the book of Acts gives you a really interesting story of how he gets to Rome. Um, but right before he goes to Rome, you see the governor of this region, the governor of Judea, is actually going to take him out one more time to share his case to Herod Agrippa II, who happens to be in town at the time. So Herod Agrippa is there. Um, Paul gives this big account. Um, Herod, who is an expert in the Jewish law, here's what Paul says, and you have this very interesting interaction where Herod ultimately does not convert, um, but does find what Paul says to be pretty compelling and interesting. But that's it. That's really where the Herods stop. You actually, after the New Testament ends, um, a little bit after the trial of Jesus, there's going to be a big Jewish revolt um, where you're going to see the Jews are actually going to try to revolt against Rome around 66-ish 
AD. It's going to be settled over the course of several years. And ultimately, you're going to see Herod Agrippa try to talk the Jews out of that, um, which he's going to be unsuccessful in doing and actually have some of his own difficulties um, in that uh, period. But that kind of ends out for the Herods. Herod Agrippa II is really the last of the Herods. It's this family that had a lot of authority in this area for a long time and features prominently in the New Testament. So I hope you find that interesting and I hope that's helped you to kind of frame when you look at Herod, when you look at that name being used, uh, who is it talking about? Because usually it doesn't tell you which one. It just says Herod. It doesn't tell you, is it Herod Antipas? Is it Herod the Great? Is it Herod Agrippa I? Is it Herod Agrippa II? It doesn't really give you that kind of specificity. So I hope this video helps you to kind of understand that. And I invite you to join us for our next episode where we continue to learn more about uh, the setting of the New Testament. Now, before you go, I want to ask you to like and follow this podcast and also to write a review on uh, iTunes or whatever uh, system you use, whatever app you use. Like, please write a review, share this with friends or a new channel. I'm trying to get it out there, so please spread the word. Thank you.